The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. But we start today with the developments in Parliament because it has been explosive. It's been fascinating to watch as this two-day inquiry into the escape of Tabo Besta has begun in Parliament today. It's the Justice and Correctional Services Portfolio Committee hearing and G4S security representatives are appearing today. Remember, they were supposed to appear last week. That didn't happen. They needed to summons them, uh, subpoena them to actually appear today. So what we've been seeing is Kurbis Grunewald, G4S Regional Director being sworn in, Joseph Monyante, head of the Mangaung Correctional Center as well, which is the facility that Tabo Besta escaped from, and Gert Bellefeld, G4S Audit and Risk Director being sworn in. So they came in, they gave a report, immediately MPs started uh, put, like, climbing into them, saying, we don't believe you on this. And I'm going to play you a chunk of audio now, because what we've seen over the last 10 minutes or so, is Glynis Breitenbach, who of course is the DA uh, Shadow Minister for Justice. And don't forget, Glynis Breitenbach was a fierce prosecutor in her time. She's a commercial crimes expert, but she has cross-examined many and accused in the dock. And I want you to have a listen to this, this series of cross-examination questions that she has been posing today because this is the kind of parliamentary accountability we need when it comes to a scandal like this. So have a listen. Cell 35 has been traversed quite thoroughly by my colleagues. But you'll agree with me that it's a, a massive confluence of coincidences that Bester was moved there on that particular date to that particular cell. Right in the corner where unless you're really paying attention, you will not see somebody walking up and down there. Because we looked, we did an experiment. Unless, and we saw the person because we were watching him. If the controller is not paying 100% attention, maybe blowing her nose or whatever, you wouldn't have seen it. Because it's the only cell that's so far away that you can't see. And not to put too fine a point on it, and no pun intended, it's right next to the fire escape. Can you tell me that that's a coincidence? Are you suggesting that that's a coincidence? I have no information, Honourable Member, other than to, to regard that as a coincidence. Yep. What I'm not ruling out <coughs> is that certain members, together with Mr. Bester, carefully planned this event. I'm not ruling that out. But I have nothing <laughs> tangible to present to you to say that this is anything other than a coincidence. You've been investigating for a year. You've had the benefit of the JIX report, which is an excellent one. You've had the benefit of your interaction with the... DCS, you've had the benefit of the interaction with the South African police. And you're telling me that a year and a bit later, the best you can say is you don't rule out the possibility that this was a, a well-planned, monumentally logistical operation. I mean, I have a German Shepherd puppy that can come to that conclusion. There's the arson, the setting a lot of whoever the poor individual was in that cell. There's the corpse substitution. Who is that person in the cell? Where did they come from? Did they come from inside the prison? Because then your head count wouldn't have matched. Did they come in from the outside? How? Did they walk in? Were they murdered in the prison? Did they come in dead? 
You can't answer any of these questions. We, we don't know. On, you uh, don't know. A year and a bit later, you don't know. We have provided all information pertaining to the movement of our personnel that evening to the SAPs, and it's for them to investigate I see. based on our information. You have no responsibilities. I'm not saying we have no responsibilities. I'm well, saying that we have investigated this matter so. to the extent possible. You appear to be saying you have no responsibilities. You've done what you could. Given bits of paper to other people and that's it. Wash your hands. Not at all. Well, that's the impression you create. And I want to tell you it's not good enough. It's impossible to believe that this whole operation could have taken place without uh, the greasing of many palms. Where would that money have come from? Whose palms were greased? Which of your officials are living above their means? You don't know because you don't do lifestyle audits. No, we don't. You don't think you should? We need to take that recommendation to heart, Honourable Member. That's Glennis Breitenbach asking questions of Gerd Bellefeld, G4S Audit and Risk Director, as he appears before Parliament. Incisive questions, clearly well-researched. And this is parliamentary accountability, and those answers are just nowhere. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, watching that for us. Babalo, uh, thank you for your patience, and good afternoon to you. Much of the focus of that cross-examination has been around a TV stand cabinet. Tell us about that. Uh, yes, indeed, Mandy. Um, about three days before that escape, that daring escape by Tabo Besta, a TV stand, um, you know, entered the premises of the NCC, the Mangon Correctional Center, for repairs, and it stayed there for a couple of days. And uh, Mr. Bailerfeld, so the first Bailerfeld from G4S, basically confirming to Dennis Breitenbach to the MPs that that stand, a human being or a corpse, could definitely fit inside it. And you know, but. When she grilled him a bit more on that, he can't really explain on why was that TV stand sitting there for so long? Why did that TV stand raise any red flags? And so a lot of questions related to that. Um, uh, the G4S uh, executives or directors, you know, struggling to respond to some of these detailed questions from King's Paperback and other MPs, for example, Mandy, the issue of time discrepancies of when that fire broke out, um, some say 2 a.m., some say 4 a.m., so there are also questions around information that doesn't seem to be making sense to a lot of the members. Uh, Babalo, they started off G4S with a presentation. What is the essence of what, what their version of events is or what they have found? Well, they basically, um, and, and as Guinness Basenbach also put to them, they, they gave the committee a whitewash of a report. And um, they're saying that basically confirming a lot of information that's already in the public domain, in information that, you know, um, the cameras are not working, um, especially cameras around Tabo Besta's single cell, cell 35. And they also, you know, tell the committee that there was a petrol smell that they, they smelled or were suspicious of. And this was, well, that was still considered a suicide. And so they are basically admitting to some wrongdoing. And they say that, you know, a number of officials have been suspended and dismissed completely. And, you know, and officials that were manning the cameras on that night, um, you know, in the administration block, which was also, you know, one of the blocks that are, you know, part of this investigation. And, and they're basically saying that we're not really culpable, but we have dealt with officials who were found to have broken, you know, proper procedures, NCC procedures, as well as DCS procedures and protocols.
Babalo, thank you very much. Babalo Ndenze, EWN reporter, who is watching that hearing today, that parliamentary committee hearing evidence from G4S Security, from its director, Kubis Grunewald, uh, also from other members as well, Gert Bailefeld, G4S Audit and Risk Director as well, under fire, facing a grilling, and those answers are just insufficient at this point. Speaking about the fact that this TV cabinet stand was brought in by a G4S employee who was subsequently fired. It looks like a body could have been inside that TV stand cabinet, um, but more questions than answers at this point. The Midday Report. Staying on that story now, and Pop Crew, the uh, Prisons and Police Union, uh, will be visiting the Mangaung Correctional Facility this afternoon, and that is to uh, inspect and to have a look and uh, understand the situation after the Tabobesta escape. Pop Crew spokesperson Richard Mamabolo joining us now. Richard, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. What is the purpose of your visit to the Mangaung facility today? Good afternoon to you and the listeners. Yes, indeed, the purpose of our visit is, of course, uh, to actually establish the facts around what actually happened. So it's a fact-finding mission that is led by the president and Pokro officials who will be uh, engaging with uh, members. You do know that we've got members within that facility to establish uh, what has actually transpired, but as well to do a site inspection of the entire facility. So so that that is the main purpose, really, and, of course, uh, Beyond that, we will be giving a feedback to the public about uh, what our findings are because there have been a number of issues that have been raised uh, by members. You remember that uh, uh, despite the type of best matter, there has been uh, a lot of uh, reports around the human rights violations and, of course, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, just last week you had the G4S still insisting that uh, Tabobesta had died in his cell whilst uh, you have the Department of Correctional Services saying something different. So, so this brings uh, to fruition... Our initial uh, well, uh, communication that we are against any form of privatization. We do not believe that uh, the state should outsource security apparatuses to private industries, especially when you consider the fact that uh, this is a foreign company that is owned by well, a foreign uh, uh, security company. So, so we, this uh, funding mission will obviously be getting set, but as well as looking into how we can further engage with the Department of Correctional Services okay. to really uh, scrap the current contract. Uh, Richard, we are hearing testimony at the moment from G4S uh, officials before Parliament facing questions around how this was how this possibly could have happened. Um, and it looks like there was obviously complicity from inside. Yesterday we saw a former G4S uh, em- uh, employee appearing in court being charged uh, with murder. Uh, from Pop Crew's perspective, does any of this surprise you? No, we're not surprised, really. I mean, uh, from the word go, we did say that uh, it was clear that it could not have been some junior officials who would have orchestrated this whole escape. And, of course, uh, there would have had to be people who are involved at senior level. So with the daily revelations that come about, it then proves the point that, indeed, this was well orchestrated. And we think that with the rearrest of the Western, uh, possibly we could then get answers as to who had been responsible. So we're quite happy with the process, and we think that uh, we will obviously as well be observing the parliamentary uh, well, uh, well, uh, portfolio mm. committee as and when they engage uh, with the G4S. But right. so far, what we have seen is that uh, uh, G4S is not really coming forward with any relevant answers, and we hope that... Uh, uh, the, the members of parliament could then further interrogate them into giving mm. uh, well, clear, clearer answers.
Richard, thank you very much. Richard Mamabolo, Pop Crew spokesperson there. They're going to be visiting that Mangong facility this afternoon, referencing that parliamentary inquiry that's still going on and interrogating them and getting the answers out of them. I don't know if they are answers, but they are certainly trying. The Midday Report. Let's go to that other big breaking news story because the state has provisionally withdrawn charges against four men charged with the murder of Hilary Gardy. That happened at the Mpumalanga High Court in Mbombela today. Of course, Godrich Gardy's daughter, Hilary, uh, was kidnapped and murdered. And, and this is, it's quite complex. Three people were initially arrested um, and then one of them came out and said that they had been tortured into an attempt to implicate senior EFF uh, officials, particularly the Deputy President Floyd Shavambu and then a fourth person came out and said well actually uh, I confess so this has been a a bit of a domino effect let's understand this a bit further with News24 journalist Ntuakai Salika. Ntuakai good afternoon to you thank you for your time. Uh, Firstly let's start with what happened in court today we were supposed to have a trial this week, so what's happened? Uh, good afternoon, Mandy, and thanks for having me. Mandy, it, it, uh, it uh, left many people shocked in court, particularly the uh, Hillary Gaddis family members who were here in court. They were left with tears in their eyes. What happened is that yesterday, you'd remember that uh, the state told the court that it was ready to proceed with the matter. And then suddenly, around uh, 11 a.m., the state made a U-turn and said, uh, it cannot trace its three critical witnesses. Those key witnesses were expected to testify. And this uh, left uh, uh, the judge. The judge was so shocked that uh, he even asked the state to say, I'm surprised that yesterday you said to us that you are ready to proceed with the matter. Suddenly you are no longer proceeding with the matter and are provisionally withdrawing the matter. Sure. So in a matter of a few hours, the state lost its three key witnesses in this case. Yes, Mandy, it's true. And uh, now you you'd remember that... Uh, Initially, during bail application, the state has been emphasizing that uh, it has arrested the uh, right people who allegedly killed uh, Hilary Gadi. And uh, also, if you also remember that the, the, the accused, they also complained that uh, they were being tortured to make confessions of, um, of, of killing uh, the victim, and yet uh, they claimed that they are innocent. We spoke to one of them. He said uh, that uh, his, uh, he, he, he was wrongfully arrested and uh, he... His name is um, um, uh, Philemon Lukele. Lukele said he was wrongfully arrested and he is returning back to his post in the ANC and he's also going to take steps against the police and, and, and the NPA for wrongful arrest and incarceration of nearly 10 months. So, so that was Philemon Lukele. He claimed he was tortured, as you say, to implicate Floyd Chivambo. But then the Sunday Independent reported uh, last year that a fourth person had been arrested, Khlabirwa uh, Nkuna, who we understand confessed. So w- was that an issue here, the fact that we had somebody who seemed unrelated to the other three? The prosecutor said that they were connected in some way. Yes, man. We, we also reported that as New 24 that... Uh, the fourth person, Shabiro uh, Ratun Kune, was also arrested for this matter. And Shabiro and Kune has made a confession statement to the police after the police had told us that he confessed that he is the one who pulled the trigger that uh, claimed the life of Hilary Khan. Now, now, we were so shocked that how can a, a person that, uh, from, from what the police told us, that this is the person who confessed to the man and suddenly charges are provisionally withdrawn against him. The man is also facing, if you remember, the man is also facing two murder charges in Kanyamazani and another murder charge in, uh, in Sundra in Mpumalanga. 
So could he then, uh, Ntokai, be, be recharged? Obviously, he has not been acquitted. They've withdrawn charges against all four. Could we see a situation here where that fourth individual who has confessed to killing Hillary Gardy is now recharged? That's what we're going to inquire from the NPA, because currently the NPA and the provincial leadership, including the national chairperson of the EFF, are here locked in a meeting discussing the matter. They're also shocked about what happened. We are going to ask them to ask, to tell us why, because they initiated to us that Nkune, because the, uh, the SAPS in Pumala said Nkune made a confession that he's the one who pulled the fatal trigger, and now suddenly charges are withdrawn, like provisionally withdrawn against him. And we must also, with, uh, don't forget, men that the judge also wanted to accuse that uh, they are not free as yet. They have not been acquitted uh, any time they might be called to answer on this case. Ntukhai, thank you so much. Ntukhai Seleka is a News24 journalist outside court at the moment. Thanks for making time to, to speak to us. So that's the developing story that broke just before we came on air today. The four men charged with the murder of Hillary Gardy. Charges have been withdrawn in the Mpumalanga High Court. Godrich Gardy tweeting just after that happened, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Hashtag rest in peace, Hillary Gardy. We have a failed state that must be removed from power. The Midday Report. Good day, Mandy. I've seen Glynis Breitenbach in action um, grilling the G4S uh, top guys. And I can understand now why the Scorpions were disbanded at the time. State capture would have never ever been able to to um, cripple our country in the way that it did um, if the scorpions were still around, if it was that level of um, people that they had in their unit. Don't forget, of course, Glynis Breitenbach was the head of the Commercial Crimes Unit, um, and she led many of these prosecutions. Uh, I sat through the entire Glynis Breitenbach inquiry at the NPA. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they, she, her argument always, um, through her advocate, Vim Trengo of SE, was that there was a malicious intent to get rid of her, um, because she was doing her job and she was going after people who were implicated in corruption, such as Richard and Uh And what you see today is that fierce prosecutor coming out today, Clearly well researched. Clearly, she is putting that experience to good use, and she is grilling G4S. So they've moved on. Other MPs are, are having an opportunity now, um, but but we really saw some pointed questioning from Gladys Breitenbach today. And G4S needs to explain themselves. They need to explain how it happened that a body got into the prison. Where does that body come from? Why were G4S employees complicit in this? Why didn't they properly monitor? Um, and there have been some explanations, but clearly not enough at all. The Midday Report. There is flux in the council in Tswane, in Joburg, in Ikuraleni as well. Well, let's take a look at the situation in Tswane at the moment because for the second time in less than a month, the DA-led multi-party coalition is looking to remove the speaker, Mkadisi and Zwanana, through a motion of no confidence. The coalition saying that it believes that the ATM councillor was not rightly elected to the position. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, is having a look at the situation in Tswane. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Uh, tell us about this motion of no confidence in the speaker today. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, I can tell you that the motion has failed 
um, just a few minutes ago, um, the Speaker, Nguyen Zwanana, um, dismissed uh, or adjourned um, council and he dismissed the motion. Now, the reason he did that is, um, so we have to start that this motion was convened um, through a petition. So it wasn't your normal motion, which goes to a programming committee and the Speaker has to, you know, put it on the council agenda. So it was convened through a petition which was signed by a majority of councillors. All these councillors are from the DA coalition, so it's 108 councillors. However, Mandy, there was a councillor last week, Francois Decker, from, uh, who's the ward councillor for Ward 83. He's from the DA, so he resigned. Uh, from the, he resigned his position. So, Councillor Nguyen Zwanana says since now there is 107 councillors um, in this council, the petition no longer uh, meets the minimum threshold of a majority for it to proceed. So, he dismissed it and adjourned um, the, today's sitting. So, where to from here, Tabiso? Well, where to from here is that tomorrow we are meeting, uh, or council is sitting for. Um, a debate and a vote on the adjustment budget. So the reason that the DA coalition wanted to remove Mtuanan is that they didn't want him to chair tomorrow's meeting of obviously an important, um, you know, budget uh, vote. Because if, you know, if this budget vote is not passed tomorrow, there is a very high possibility of the municipality being placed under administration. You'll remember that maybe there's been two the municipality has been granted two extensions to pass the municipality, and its extension um, expires on the 14th of April. So if tomorrow they do not pass it, and which is what the DA uh, coalition wanted to avoid, him having presiding over tomorrow's meeting. So if they do not pass tomorrow's meeting, there's a very likely possibility that Tony Council will be placed under administration. To be so, thank you. To be so, Goba, EWN reporter, having a look at the situation in Tswane, where the DA has been looking to remove the council speaker, Nkadisi and Swanana. So let's go now to Joburg and Ikuruleni as well, because there are developments in both of those councils. Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter, joining us. Alpha, good, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, let's start with the uh, situation in Ikuruleni, because uh, there is uh, due to be a swearing in of five members of the mayoral committee today there. Uh, this is playing out against the backdrop of the situation between the Patriotic Alliance and the EFF. So tell us what's happening with that. Yes, good afternoon, Mandy. As you would remember last year, uh, the Ukurulene, um mayor and the speaker swore in uh, half of the mayoral committee. Now, that mayoral committee was only members of the EFF because the ANC and MCs were a no-show. So today, the ANC has you know, uh, released a media statement saying that those other five um, MMCs who had not been sworn in will today be uh, getting sworn in at the council chambers in Ekuruleni. Now, this is also kind of sketchy for me, Mandy, because usually when uh, the mayoral committee is being sworn in, the communication is done by the mayor or the speaker, but this time the communication was issued by the by the political party, the ANC. So it might also insist that there are already, already disputes here between the ANC and the mayor in Akurule. And of course, the Patriotic Alliance is also fighting that the mayor did not give them any position um, in the mayoral committee. And we also did see that the EFF has been given all the top uh, seats in the mayoral committee, like health, like uh, the real estate portfolio and the finance uh, portfolio. So both the ANC and the Patriotic Alliance have been basically 
uh, not happy over the fact that they have not been given these seats in the mayoral committee of Ekuruleni. Okay, so that's Ekuruleni. Let's go to Joburg now because we heard from Action SA yesterday saying they were tabling a motion of no confidence against both the, the mayor, Tapelo Ahmad, and the speaker, Colleen Makubele. Uh, you've been speaking to the ANC, to Action SA as well. What are they saying about this? Yes, I mean, we, we do remember that uh, a few days ago, the mayor, Tapelo Ahmad, did an interview with, with the SABC where, you know, the Patriotic Alliance was not happy with that. Uh, um, with that interview, they said that, you know, it, it might have been a mistake voting Ahmad into power. And they are also hinting that they will be supporting this motion of no confidence against the mayor, which was tabled by the Action SA. But this is also kind of sketchy because the Action SA, um, I mean, uh, the Patriotic Alliance actually holds two uh, mayoral uh, two portfolios in the mayoral committee of Johannesburg. So them supporting the action SA during the motion of no confidence would also mean that Kenukunene will no longer be an MMC, which is a position that they had been fighting for for such a long time. So also the action SA, uh, 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 the Patriotic Alliance now uh, is also kind of hinting that it might be returning to the DA um, 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 coalition. And we do know that the action SA has a history of you know, going for positions when they are offered certain positions, but you know they will always choose the block that offers them uh, 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 more positions or bigger positions. So, uh, the Patriotic Alliance at the moment seems like it's going to be jumping ship soon. But the ANC is also very concerned about this, although they do admit that you know it's a lone party, it's an independent party apart from the ANC EFF coalition. It will let them do their own decision. But the fact that they hold uh, two mayoral, uh, two portfolios mm-hmm. in the mayoral committee of Johannesburg just makes it seem like uh, they are looking for maybe something bigger, which maybe the DA has promised to offer them mm-hmm. should they vote against Ahmad. Alpha, thank you. Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter, having a look at the situation in uh, both the, the council of Ekuruleni and in, in Joburg. So we could see a situation in Joburg, right, where Tepelo Ahmad's been the mayor for a couple of months. Kenny Kuleni, remember, he came on the show and he said, I don't even know where the toilet is in my office yet. Um, give me some time. So he's only been there for, for a couple of months. And so now we could see a situation where his own party, the Patriotic Alliance, pulls out of this coalition uh, with the EFF and the ANC and jumps over. Back to the uh, coalition with the Democratic Alliance and Action SA and uh, could go there instead. And then we have a whole new mayoral committee and uh, there's so much topsy-turvy, really, uh, to try and run a city when you are constantly changing mayors and changing mayoral committees. Nothing ever gets done. The Midday Report. Let's give you a quick update now on the power situation in Tswane. Yesterday, Celia's Brink, the mayor of Tswane, yes, he is now the mayor of Tswane, um, gave us an update on the situation after those pylons collapsed. Uh, so he's going to give us an update today, and uh, we have this audio from him. Tswane residents, our number one priority now is to restore all of the power that has been off since Sunday. We followed two approaches. The first, the most important, is to restore the 132 kV line which ran on those pylons. We are in the process of procuring the pylons and doing the work to uh, have a permanent solution. The second thing we've done is to restore power by a process of rerouting electricity to as much of the affected area as possible. About 40% of the affected areas have been restored. Now we've been asked, why are some areas restored and not others? The short answer is for technical reasons. Some areas can be backfed, as it's called, and some areas can't because of the nature of the network. I've nonetheless spoken to officials and asked 
for an urgent set of measures to help those areas that have not had electricity since Sunday, and that includes Mamalodi, Yesteris, uh, Waku Industrial, as well as places like Queenswood. And today we will hopefully announce a set of measures to bring relief to those communities. That's the Tswane Mayor, Silias Brink, giving us an update there on the situation with power. Some areas still without power. He's explaining why some have power, some don't, as they try and fix that entire situation with the collapsed pylons. Keep updated. All you need to know in 60 minutes. This is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on Cape Talk. In Pretoria today, uh, today is day two of the court hearing against the Zimbabwean exemption permit program, the ZEPs. The Helen Sussman Foundation uh, brought this application, and there are two other applications as well against the Minister of Home Affairs, Aaron Motsuledi. Yesterday, we heard from the Helen Sussman Foundation in court. Today, it is the turn of the Minister of Home Affairs and uh, his advocate, uh, Ishmael, Ishmael Jamie SC, who has been arguing. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, has been following proceedings. So tell us what the argument has been from Advocate Jamie. Sure. So central to the argument um, from the Department of Home Affairs is that um, were the court basically to rule in the Helen Sussman Foundation's favor or any of the other organizations that are challenging this this decision, that um, it would be a breach of the separation of powers. What they say is that the decision to firstly introduce the ZDP program back in 2009, at the time it was introduced under a different name, but it's, it's all basically the same regime. Um, the decision first to introduce the program was completely at the discretion of government. There was no legal obligation on government to do that. It was a policy decision. And they say, likewise, the decision not to extend it any further to effectively discontinue it um, from June, that's also a policy decision. And as such, they say essentially that it's not subject to judicial scrutiny. Um, it's not a legal decision. And yeah, they say basically that that uh, the court would risk sort of intruding on the powers of of the minister were it to were it to rule in the foundation's favour. So, in other words, uh, the minister made this decision. It's a policy decision. Um, if the courts interfere, then it is a transgression of the separation of powers. So, the law cannot interfere here. The courts can't interfere. It's not a judicial issue. The Helen Sussman Foundation, however, said that they believe that terminating the ZDP program without proper public consultation is is unlawful. So, what is their argument been? Well, what they say is that um, <clears throat> at the time the decision was made, um, because of the nature of, of the decision, Audi, the Audi rule, which requires that both sides are heard, didn't come into play. They say when it comes into play is at the implementation stage. And according to the department, they have put out a call. They've, saying, they've said if you want to make special representations, if you want to apply for a special waiver, um, then you need to make those representations to us. And what the department is saying in court basically is that is us consulting. That is us giving ZDP holders the opportunity to come to us with their specific cases and for us to look at uh, look at their situation on a case by case basis and decide if potentially we should we should extend that. But ultimately they say the implementation phase isn't over yet and we are doing the, the public consultation with ahead of the implementation essentially. And then tomorrow it's the turn of advocate Timbeka Nukatobi uh, on behalf of um, Advocate Nukatobi is representing the Zimbabwean Immigration Federation. And then later in the week on Friday, we're also going to hear from the Zimbabwean Exemption Permit Holders Association. They've also brought a challenge. Bernadette, thank you. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, having a look at uh, that court matter. It's being heard all week in Pretoria today, this challenge against the ZEPs, the Zimbabwe Exemption Permit Program, being terminated. The Midday Report.
The city of Joburg is signing an agreement with the regional taxi structures that are organized under Santaco, also under the National Taxi Alliance. It's all a bid to try and formalize parts of uh, the taxi industry. We know it's a multi-billion rand industry. So let's understand this with Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter. Nokokanya, good afternoon to you. Um, explain to us what uh, this agreement is about and what does it mean? Good afternoon, Mandy. So in essence, really, it appears to be much of a rebranding exercise by the the taxi industry, uh, which has often been marred by violence as well as turf wars. And what they've come up with is an agreement between the taxi industry as well as the city on how to, um, you know, forge some sort of mutual cooperation between all of these uh, industry players as well as the city and how they can better equip the taxi industry, um, you know, for, for, the, for, for the business to be uh, formalized and uh, for it to be a better recognized by government so that it also enjoys the benefits um, it was in the uh, labor space. Now, in the 11-page document that we've had signed by the MMC for Transport in Johannesburg, that's Kenneth Nene, as well as NTA, as you rightly said, as well as Santaco. And um, the uh, 11-page document really just maps out how the taxi associations and the city will work together, communicate in terms of uh, conflict, how, they, how can there be um, better conflict resolution, um, what sort of programs the city can establish for the taxi industry, um, you know, the incentives that can also uh, formulate for the taxi industry in building uh, that multi-billion rand industry. Interestingly, Mandy, what wasn't included in this um, the, the, the signing of this document, what they're calling the protocol document, um, is uh, some of the proposals that the taxi industry has put forward to the city. And these are two massive ones. The first of these proposals is the handing over of some of the taxi ranks in the city to the taxi bosses in order for them to manage and facilitate. Um, they're complaining that the taxi ranks are run by people that have no vested interest in the industry and they want to clean up the image of the taxi industry and so they want those uh, buildings to be handed over to them. And that's something that the MMC says he's mulling, either by selling those taxi uh, ranks to the industry or in a 99-year lease agreement between the, the industry and the uh, city. The second of those proposals is um, leasing out some of the abandoned excuse me, and the dilapidated buildings around the city to taxi to the taxi industry again. And this would allow for the taxi operators and their families, um, you know, to have a better accommodation closer to their places of work, safer, and so on. And so because the, ta- the, the, the apologies, Mandy, the city is not generating any revenue from these abandoned and dilapidated buildings, they believe that leasing it out to the taxi industry uh, could add a bit more money into the pockets for the city. The MMC he says he's giving the industry seven days to submit a proposal to the city that will then be taken to the mayoral committee and they'll then consider that going forward, Mandy. Nokokanya, thank you very much. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, explaining this agreement that has been signed to the city of Joburg. We were just talking about Kenny Kunene uh, a couple of minutes ago. So he's, he's very busy, uh, even though he may not be in this position for too much longer. Um, but this agreement has been signed with the regional taxi structures organized under Santaco, under the National Taxi Alliance as well. As Nokokanya describes it, a rebranding exercise very much for this multi-billion rand industry. The Midday. Report. Hi, Mandy. It's Mtunzi here. You know, when you listen to Silas Brink from the mayor of Tuane, he gives you that confidence that he's in touch, he's in control 
of what is happening with the, of the crisis. I mean, that's what you need in a mayor. You need someone who's in touch, someone who's in control, someone who can communicate clearly, you know, not necessarily that it's about English or, you know, being able to express yourself in English, but that confidence, he gives you the confidence as a resident of someone. They are facing a crisis, electricity electricity crisis at the moment but when it comes out to the radio to from uh, when you listen to him on tv he gives you that confidence just take the politics aside that it belongs to 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 da party j that's what you need from a mayor mtunzi here Hey, Mtunzi, thank you very much. I, I think I agree with you when, when I say let's take the politics, when you say let's take the politics out of this. It is about leadership and it's about communication. And uh, aside from the politics, if you draw a distinction between the way that Celia Spring communicates in a time of crisis around the electricity sh- situation where there is transparency, there is communication, there is clarity, there is constant updating. And then you have the the drama around Tepelo Ahmad, which is very much self-created. Um, the fact that he does doesn't have experience dealing with the media. Um, some media training could really make a big difference for him if somebody taught him how to communicate with the media. Uh, that has been one of the arguments. And the fact that there is now this controversy around him, Patriotic Alliance saying, we backed the wrong horse. He's not the right guy because of the interview that he did with the SABC. And that just goes to show, regardless of politics, when it comes down to leadership, how important it is to communicate and to explain things to your electorate because then they will have confidence in you. The Midday Report. Well, let's end off with a, a quick preview of what's going to be uh, happening in terms of the judiciary because the Judicial Service Commission, the JSC, will be interviewing candidates nominated for positions in various uh, courts that's going to be taking place next week. Mbekazeli Benjamin, Judges Matter researcher, joining us now. Mbekazeli, good afternoon to you. What vacancies are we going to be seeing interviews for? Good afternoon, Nidhi. Um, There are a number of vacancies that are going to be interviewed for next week. The first one is the President of the Supreme Court of Appeal. There we have one candidate who was nominated by the President, and that is Justice Mulimela. She'll be interviewed on Monday. And then for the rest of the week, there is also the Judge President of the Mpumalanga High Court. Um, The one has just recently retired, and so they're looking for a replacement there. And then there's also the Khaldeng High Court. As you know, those are the busiest and and largest courts in the country, and and they are looking for about five judges to fill those vacancies. But uh, another important responsibility that the JSC will be trying to do is to settle on criteria. Uh, You know, that is one of the issues that has been criticized a lot about yeah. the GSC not having criteria. So that is one uh, important aspect that will be dealt with next week. And Mikizeli, this is something that you and I have spoken about before. It's something that Judges Matter has been advocating for. Is this issue of, of criteria? So how do we expect the JSC to deal with this now? So the JSC has been making tremendous amount of progress on this issue. Um, I think they are finally responding to the criticism and they did produce a draft at the end of last year and they called for public comments. We made submissions and so what we're expecting next week is for the JSC to give us the final document that has gone through this draft process and has received comments and the JSC has finally settled 
on what the final document should look like. So that is something to look out for next week. Mbekizeli, thank you as always. Mbekizeli Benjamin, we'll check in with you next week as uh, the JSC does hold those interviews. I think the big one, obviously, as you said, is that vacancy that Mandisa Maya uh, has left as the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, president. So that's that's the one. But the criteria is a big issue because we need criteria in terms of how we appoint judges in this country. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.